Welcome to Cut 2, a new podcast from the Writers Guild of Canada. In each episode, we'll be focusing on a topic relevant to Canadian screenwriters. My name is Noelle Carbone. I am a writer-producer who's written on Cardinal, Winona Earp, and Coroner. My season one Coroner script won last year's WGC award in the drama series category, which is why I suppose it seemed like a good idea to have me host this episode, which features five of the 2021 nominees in the same category. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Sarah Dodd, who is nominated for her episode of the fourth season of Cardinal, Lynn Cam, who is nominated for her season one episode of Transplant, Floyd Kane, who is nominated for her season two episode of Digstown, Joseph Kay, who is nominated for the pilot episode of Transplant, and Tamara Mullen, who is nominated for her season one script of Transplant. Welcome, writers. It's such a pleasure to be in your company, and congratulations on your nominations. Why don't I call on you one by one and let you introduce yourselves briefly, and then we can get into it? Floyd, you're first up on my little rectangle. Would you like to go first? Um, Sure. Uh, I'll keep it simple. I'm Floyd Kane. I'm the creator executive producer and showrunner of Digstown, and we're currently uh, prepping for our third season. Sarah, you're next. My name is Sarah Dodd. I live in Vancouver, and uh, I was the executive producer on seasons two and four of Cardinal, and I'm currently working on Family Law with Susan Nielsen. Tamara. I'm Tamara Mullen, uh, currently working on uh, season two of Transplant. Joe. I'm Joseph Kay. I created the show Transplant, and we are, about, well, no, we're shooting season two. I almost forgot, but we are in the middle of choosing. <laughs> and Lynn. Last but not least, and not perfectly sober, uh, I'm Lynn, and I uh, swim in the wake of Joseph Kay for Transplant season one, and I'm currently showing show running something I can't disclose at the moment because it hasn't been announced. Awesome. So nice to have you guys. I mean, uh, we, I mean, look at the, look at the shows that are nominated. They're, uh, they're quite a slice of what all different kinds of things we're doing in Canada, which is really exciting. Obviously, Transplant three nominations. That's pretty impressive. I don't know if that's ever happened before. So congratulations to you guys. I mean, maybe we'll start, maybe we'll start there. Season, season ones are incredibly difficult to get right. You three and your team seem to have done something right because <laughs> here you are. So why don't you, Joe, I'll throw it to you first. Why don't you talk about season one of Transplant? Like how, what were the challenges and how long did it take you, do you feel to find your, to find your footing creatively? It was interesting. Um, the pilot script, which I wrote in 2017 and had kind of like a furious idea for was actually like, oddly, the easiest thing I've ever written in my entire life. And the, the, the finished episode that's on TV is pretty close to the first draft. Like it's not, but it's probably the closest thing to the first draft of anything I've ever written that's been produced. The second episode of Transplant <laughs> was the like, I mean, Lynn was there and we wrote it like a thousand times easily, you know, and so well, well. Easily. At least a thousand. Well, the first episode was the easiest thing. Um, The second one was the hardest. And it was because it's such a, it's a premise pilot. You know, it it introduces the world in a way that I think is efficient in that, in the pilot episode, it introduces the world fast and furious and this character, but then it has to go. I mean, everybody knows this. I'm sure all of us who've written premise pilots before, it has to go from, from that to then the show in the second episode. And it was, um, 
it was there were a lot of iterations um, between episode one and episode two. It was in development for a year, and then while it was in production, we were writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. That's pretty impressive, like to kind of like the pilot. I mean, episode twos are excruciating for all sorts of reasons, including the ones you mentioned. How many episodes do you think it took you? Because you're the pilot is nominated. 106 Lynn's episode is nominated the sixth episode and the ninth um are all nominated so it seems like I mean at least by episode six you figured it out we, we actually figured it out in episode two but it just took us a really long time so the, the millionth version of that whatever version of episode two we figured it out and we realized oh this is how to combine the story of this main character with the hospital angle and then I'd say that by episode four we started hitting a, a groove in terms of like it got easier to break them and then by Lynn's episode, oh, it was so easy, right, Lynn? It was like... Uh... Oh, it was a breeze. I, <laughs> I just closed my eyes and it wrote itself. I remember when you called me in Paris and went, I don't know. And I went, I don't know. And we were on our... And it was just like, it was going to write itself. It was fine. It was it was a breeze. Mira, was, was that your experience? It just came on the page. Uh, I, uh, I joined <laughs> I, I joined a little bit late in season one. So I think when I, when I joined the show, you guys had an outline for episode six. I think that was about where That's you right. were at. And, and we, I remember you moved to Montreal and you, and you joined us when we were in Montreal. Yeah, 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 I did. And um, I remember going uh, with Joe and I we were talking about the show before I had joined. We were sort of talking about me joining. And I remember Joe saying, like, here's everything we figured out about the show. And I think it was probably around that time that you guys had just written episode four. That I remember you laying out for me, like, here's how many stories an episode can hold. And here's all this stuff. So I think I joined at kind of the exact right time for how you get to have joined when you guys kind of knew what was going on. And I just kind of got to play in the sandbox everybody else had already built so it was good I was lucky that way that's amazing so how many weeks would you say in an ideal word world a writer in a season one should drop in should have negotiate their contract <laughs> so they come in exactly once the show has its formula and has its legs under it you're a genius uh, I don't know how many months you guys have been working by then you have to probably been in the room for two or three months we started in October and you joined in April so let's just do the math uh, so more than that so yeah. Let's, uh, yeah yeah I mean I mean the great thing about transplant was always what Joe said was like how to figure out how to bring Syria to North America. So how do you understand uh, an epic war story in a medical drama? And, you know, episode four brought that and episode one brought that and we brought that a lot to the, to the main stage. And that was like a, a kudos to Joe to figure out how to like how to combine those two worlds, you know, and, and and that was one of the one of the mysteries. And when we when we came to episode six, you know, we brought a cold silver event, which was a traumatic sort of um, you know sort of war story in terms of an active shooter event in a hospital. And that was one of the things is like always trying to combine like a medical drama versus like a Syrian war story and a refugee story. And Joe did a great job at trying to figure that out. But it was a math equation, and it was a lot of work. And, uh, and, uh, and, and trying to make it relevant for our world because we don't live in Syria and we don't live in those kind of war-torn stories. So how to bring that sort of in an active present without being in an exposition. And, and that was, a, that was, a, that was a, an equation to crack and, and Joe did a great job and he worked a lot on it, a lot. <laughs> Not just Joe, <laughs> I was like surrounded and still am by just ridiculously brilliant people who, you know, it's like we figured it out and we're still figuring it out every day, you know, so but thank you. But, but yeah, lucky about that.
That's a good segue to still figuring it out part because I'm going to throw to you now. Floyd, season two's also notoriously difficult because you have your <laughs> you have your established. I mean, it never gets easy. I guess is what I'm saying. But you have season one. You know, you bring in that audience, and with season two, you want to reward the people who are with you. And you certainly did it by calling back to one of your most um, memorable season one guest stars with your um, the script that you're nominated for. But but how do you sort of is there a reinvention of the show that has to happen in season two for you and your particular with Digstown specifically? Um, <clears throat> I think for us, it was different because, you know, one of the things that we talked about early on in season one was the fact that because we were a six episode order, that essentially season two was the continuation of season one. Um, so there's so there's very like especially because not only are we six episodes but we're six episodes and we're episodic and we're like purely episodic as in those in that first season so it was really you know we really had to think hard about kind of okay going into season like for me going into season two the frustration in season one was, you know, I know as a viewer that I like knowing about the characters. I, I don't care as much about the procedural. I wanna know what the juice is in the personal life. And so we weren't writing that in season one just because of how we decided to structure the show. But by the time I got to season two, I had just decided, okay, th this is what we're gonna do we're gonna lean more into the personal and we're gonna have a little bit more serialization. And so we just started kind of thinking about, well, what are these, like we have six episodes, what are the like, you know, three episode serialized arcs that we can build for this, for this season. Um, so, so in terms of the whole question of whether like, the hard part for me was around just thinking about where we left Marcy in season one and where I wanted to pick her up. And like, and really it's about figuring out, you know, because we're a location driven show. So I'm always trying to think of, okay, so last season we only spent like one day in Preston, which is the community that Marcy's actually from. So we only spent one day shooting there. So I wanted to kind of figure out, let's shoot like, let's plan to shoot like three or four days there in season two. And how do we do that? And then it really became about like, what's the story that you want to tell? And I knew, I knew before going into the writing room and, and typically this, how it works on our show is before I go into the room with the writers, I have a sense of what stories I want to tell. And so it's like, I knew I wanted to do something involving a cop and the death of a black person, but I didn't want to do something that was, I didn't want to do a shooting right. because I felt like that was like, you know, it just was in the news all the time and it just felt very um, present. And so the idea of doing it, the hit and run, that was kind of where we ended up. And then by the time we got to 
episode three, like, I mean, I love uh, Billy McClellan. Like, I think he's an amazing actor and we really wanted to bring Bill, uh, Willie back. And it just was a no brainer to kind of do that story. And of course, like having watched The Staircase, <laughs> it was sort of like a bit of the inspiration of, oh, oh yeah, we could do this. So, you know, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think it was harder, but I do think that every season we're tweaking the recipe, right? And I think right. this season, in, in this season, like we're developed, we we're about to shoot season three and, you know, it, in, in a way it's like a similar, a different challenge in that we've been off the air for like a year and a half. So it's like, how do you re, you really have to actually make the first episode a pilot again. Right. And so that's, so, so those have been the things that we've been, the challenges, but no, I mean, like, it's just about that tweaking and trying to just figure out what's going to work for the show. Got it. And, and Sarah, with see, this is your second go round on the super murdery Cardinal train. Yeah, so sorry we didn't get to uh, cross paths on our Cardinal seasons. I'll try not to take it personally. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so, so with season with season four, you've got three incredibly successful seasons under your belt already in the show. And then for you personally already with season two, what's it like staring down the, the barrel of season four and going like, what do we like? How do you make it new and special, but but keep the secret sauce? Well, we were given a great gift by the broadcaster in knowing that it was going to be our final season. And I, as sad as it is to be told it's the last season, it's always better to know in advance, I think, because I've been on this show where we thought we would have more seasons and we left all of our main characters with, you know, armed guys coming through the windows to kill them all. And that was the end of the show. Um, so it's really nice to know it's the last season um, because then you can do all the things that you want to do to wrap it up in a really satisfying way for, for the fans, for the actors, for the writers. Um, we, of course, adapt Cardinal from Giles uh, Blunt's books. So we had already burned through a lot of the books seasons one, two, and three. We burned um, through two in season three. We took two yes, books. <laughs> that's right. And so it felt like a natural time to conclude. Um, and it, the central relationship, of course, of um, Cardinal and Delorme was top of mind and wanting to take them on a satisfying journey in their relationship. The, the case was really um, it, it, born out of one of the books, but Patrick Tarr did a brilliant job. He was the showrunner of season four. I joined him as exec producer and wrote a couple of episodes in his room, but he was running the season four room. And uh, he took a book that was almost entirely written in flashback and internal monologue and diary entries and figured out how to make that a really compelling six episode thriller in present day. What a so, show off. He totally, he's, he's unbelievably talented. So I sailed into his room and helped him figure that out with some other extremely talented writers. I'm sorry, Penny Gummerson couldn't be with us tonight. Was um, she in your room as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah awesome. she was, yeah. Because each of your shows is so unique, I, what I'm curious about is, say I'm, I'm a writer and I am coming in for an interview 
or I want to write a spec of the show, Joe and Lynn and Tamara, what do I need to know about writing an episode of Transplant? Hmm. Joe? <laughs> Specific to that show, right? Yeah. Uh, it would be a very tricky one to spec, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, uh, I wouldn't advise it. I, I would say, you know, the thing about the, the what, what I found both tricky and challenging and kind of fun about it is that more than anything I've ever worked on, it's like, it's entirely about the way people feel entirely. And even though it's propped up by all the scaffolding of a medical show, this or that stat, whatever that stuff is, and patient stories and the like life and death stakes of those, the actual medical action that happens is just, it's just scaffolding, that's all it is. You know, whether it's the patients or, um, or, or the doctors. And so it's only really like the, the health part of it, you know, there it's just, and so it's only really ever about how those people feel and then how the main characters, like was sort of like what Floyd was saying before about the procedural side of his show, like that exists and that's a point to that, but you care about the main characters. And in our case, it's like, how are the emotions of the main characters reflective of the emotions of the patients? And how are those two things working together in harmony? If they're too close, it's obvious. If they're far enough apart, it doesn't work. And so what is that like little, like totally fluid, impossible to put your finger on connection point? And that's the trick. And then the, like, the last thing about it is that it all has to sort of start with the main character, with a, a Hansa Hawk character, has to start with him. And so like whatever he's kind of feeling <laughs> needs to then sort of expand out into what everybody else is feeling. And that depends entirely on where he is at which stage in his journey, because every day is a different stage of his journey. And it's a very, like, um, it's a very um, evolving, delicate balance to find. And uh, so I guess if I was gonna interview somebody, I would just want to talk to them about the characters. And that would be the only thing I would really care about because I wouldn't want anybody, wouldn't expect anybody to come with that kind of like level of esoteria, but just to talk about the characters and to, and to try to feel the way the characters feel and whether or not the characters work for them or interest them, you know, that would be, that would be the way, well, that is the way I interview people for the show. Yeah, I think I would say, I mean, in terms of like what I've learned to pitch for the show and the kinds of stories that work for the show. Like when Joe talks about just living in the emotion of the characters, we're always looking, I'm always looking at now that I've been on the show for a little while to pitch stories that are about interesting emotions more so than big emotions. Um, Cause it's never the show that you're gonna have like these two people have been in love forever and they love each other so dearly and one's dying in the other person's arms. It's more likely to be a show about like two people who've been together for 15 years and they're just now realizing they don't like each other or, I mean, that's not a story, but just th that, that sort of thing. And I think that's one of the things that um, is really specific to transplant is find like interesting emotional stories between people with interesting relationships um, that you don't necessarily do on, on a lot of other shows. That's a great insight. For me, which is very similar to everyone else is, is that the episodic stories are really wonderful when they're mirrors or they're counterpoints or they're foils to expose something in our, our main characters. And for me, when I'm always writing, especially with Joe's transplant is you know, and we can do this a lot in our procedural episodic stories because Canada is very episodic and procedural based writing. And as we know, that is sort of our mainstay and uh, we don't have a lot of serialized shows. 
But what Joe tried to do was always try to move the needle forward. So for me, when the episode was like, where are the characters starting or where are they ending in the episode? And it should be different. And that it goes from number one, number two, number three, number four on the call sheet. So I was always looking to think about those and start with an A story with the lead and then move forward from there and go, okay, they should be different. They either have reversed <laughs> or they have made the choice that you didn't think. It doesn't mean they always have the hero choice because that's the obvious choice. Uh, but you know, they have moved either in reverse or, 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 or treaded water, but you know, I think we can really very simply concentrate on our episodic stories and stay in the same place. And you should, you're, you're, you're one, two, three, four, five on the call sheet should move, right. have a little fun with them. And <laughs> Joe allowed us to do that. And, and, and we even had sex in episode six. <gasps> Which we didn't, we didn't have in a lot of episodes. We had a little sex, we had a little sex sex, and we had middle-aged sex. <laughs> and if you followed on the Twitterverse, they were on Carmine, who is one of our, our, our great writers, who's on episode two, uh, season two as well, would always be like, we're all about the middle-aged love stories, and we have a really big one. And they did fantastic in that episode, and I was very proud that, uh, that everyone moved the needle forward on that, so. So Joe was really big about moving characters forward and uh, whether they be back or forward, but they moved. I, I would say one little thing about that. And then we talked about this a lot that like the whole, like nobody ever really changes ethos of writing that yeah. we talk about all the time. Like you kind of just, I mostly believe that we don't change if anything, we just get worse as we get older. Like the worst. <laughs> so true. <laughs> How can you make characters move in that context where they're never yeah. really going to change? And that's also, tricky but um, and on the sex side one rule that I decided right off the beginning was that nobody was ever going to have sex in the hospital and so which is hard and also yeah. gross who wants to have a like like think about the pandemic like no one wants to have COVID sex <laughs> but you have those locate you have those sets that's the thing <laughs> but that's good it's good to have sex rules yeah <laughs> Floyd what would you say about Digstown same question um what do I need to know if I want to come in and try and convince you that I can write an episode of Digstown? I think you just have to, I would say, first of all, you have to be someone who's not afraid to write from different perspectives and you have to be willing to kind of like, and a big part of that for me is being somebody who you know, displays a level of empathy as a person. Um, Cause I, I think that's really the only way you can do that. Um, if you're writing from someone else's experience. Um, I also think you, you have to like, like I really look for people who, and I, and I know this is a cliche, but it's like, I, I really do look for people who are smarter than I am who are better writers than I am, because I feel like, you know, it's really important to know that I, like, I, I need to, for me, the biggest thing is the show, there are a lot of voices in the show and Marcy's voice and the voices of her family um, and the voices of the, some of the surrounding characters. I have those voices cold in my head I know what those are and I don't necessarily need the writers to write those voices. I need them to write really tight stories that 
I can then just go into a dialogue polish on and I don't have to worry about, you know, dealing with fixing plot points in scripts. Um, you know, I also like people who have skills that I don't have. Like, you know, we have you know, one writer in our room who is like an awesome researcher. And that's something that, you know, like I hate research. You know, I, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, when someone says to me, well, it would really happen this way. I'm like, I don't care. Let's just like, let's, let's figure out the story and find the emotion first. And then we'll go back and figure out the truth of it and decide which is better for the story. Because I know like last year in season two, I did one thing that I actually regret in terms of listening, making a decision to stick with the, the truth, the reality of what would happen in the courtroom, as opposed to what would have been the biggest dramatic thing to have happen. And every time I watch the episode, I just get frustrated. <laughs> I'm like, I should not have done, I should not have listened to the lawyer. I should have just like gone ahead and just made something up. But you know, you live and learn. But yeah, I mean, those are the general things that I look for. Like, I, I just don't, I, I think, you know, for me, the key is just don't, you, I don't want you to be afraid. Like, don't be afraid to write characters that are not part of your like everyday existence. Like, I, I really think that's the most important thing. And I, I think that's the thing that, you know, I think that's something that we deal with a lot now. So um, I really try to encourage like, because my show is about, like I, I want my show to be as inclusive as possible. And I can't do that if the writing isn't there on the page. Right. There's a certain element you can bring to it that you're not looking for. There's something, but uh, beyond that, you need, you need the writers in your room to bring that outside perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And Sarah, what about, I mean, Cardinal such a, such a dark, super serialized, it, what is, what is someone who's going to go down that path of uh, writing an episode of Cardinal need to know? Yeah. Well, I think uh, thinking back to season two, when I was putting my tiny, tiny room together, there were three of us. Um, I was, I was nervous um, because I had such a tight time frame in terms of, okay, we, we have six weeks to break six episodes and I get a first draft and a second draft from my writers and that's it. No writer's room, just me after that. Me and however many rewrites I need to do. Um, alone in North Bay. Uh, so I, I, I went in from a place of, okay, I, just like Floyd, I want people who are smarter than me. I want people who are great with plot, great with procedure, um, who, can, who can come up with all the cool twists and turns that uh, I'm not gonna think of, um, who might, I might have the first bad idea and they're going to have that eighth idea that would take me nine years to get to, but they're, you know. Right. Um, but certainly the writers I worked with were all, um, coming from different complementary strengths as well. So, you know, Jenica Harper had poetry and fiction and half hour comedy and one hour drama chops. And Alison Bingaman had this long list of procedural credits and um, Penny Gummerson was helping as a story editor as well. So I had a, 
a really diverse group of uh, writers in terms of complementary skill sets and um, all making me look very good. And Gemma Holdway came in as our intern and then eventually story editor. So um, yeah, I, I think I, I was definitely looking for people who love thrillers, who love crime dramas, who love building the puzzle of a procedural, but understood that this was a totally different pace and tone than your classic procedural episodic of the week. I mean, it, it, we, we took the time to think about imagery and cinematic moments and moments of quiet that we just would never do in Ransom or Motive or any of these other shows I've worked on. It's true. Every My experience in the Cardinal Room was the same. I was like focusing so much more on the stage direction than the, the, the action lines than I ever had before. And it was actually kind of awesome because I mean, sort of Cardinal's known for being sort of monosyllabic and like <laughs> not really expressing himself. And there's a freedom that comes with that. And you do have to work a different part of your brain when you can't rely on, you know, banter or, you know, jokes. And it's not the jokiest of, of shows. Absolutely. And, and taking what would have been um, a page of dialogue in a different show and boiling it down to two lines. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also perspective, right? And we'll get into this with the, with the other shows, like the POV of the show, you spend so much time with, you know, the villains that you sort of have to think they have to be as well thought out as Cardinal and Delorme. Um, and that was an interesting challenge because your murder, you're like following along, you know, murder board for the season is like, what are the bad guys doing when we don't see them? And it can be like, it can totally do your head in because that's a lot that's a lot. It's like, okay, so when we were here in episode two, they were off doing this thing, but we're not going to know that until we get to episode five. And then you're just like, feel like you're losing your mind. That's exactly right. Yeah. There's a whole parallel life being lived by your villains that you also need to keep straight in your head while you're writing um, for your heroes. Um, but at the same time, you never want um, the audience to be too far ahead of the cops. So it's this fine balance of mystery and intrigue, but without giving too much away and making our cops seem no fault of their own, but because the audience has seen something, there's this immediate feeling like, why haven't the cops figured this out? I just saw that. Right. You guys able to like break that whole season and before it was written, like as how, or that you, you, get yes. to, you get to plan the whole thing. And then what if you change it? Like, how does that um, really curious? Yes. Well, what, what that looks like, Joe, is uh, me alone in North Bay <laughs> in, in a Best Western Hotel and Conference Center <laughs> with six scripts. Um, yes, it, it's so serialized. You pull one little thread and there is, you never rewrite one script ever. You're constantly rewriting six, always, always. So, so by the time so, you're doing that, you're by yourself? Like, is that just you? Yes. And, Wow. And me and a he was panic cracking in his voice. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And, and that was true of Patrick as well for season um, three and four. He had his room, he had his scripts, but ultimately um, the showrunner of Cardinal is alone with the six episodes for prep and shoot and post. Yeah. And it, and it is terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie. Um, but it, I would say uh, working on Cardinal was a true career highlight because it, it pushed me so hard and it made me a better writer. 
Yeah, it's tr- it, the I remember watching season three when it aired and going like entire storylines were lifted from episodes and put into later episodes or earlier episodes, depending on how. And I just picture like Patrick or you like <laughs> sitting in or Aubrey, like sitting in a hotel or motel somewhere cold and just being like, oh, no. <laughs> But isn't so, that one of the rare joys of, of, of serialization that we don't get really to enjoy as much in Canada as, as, as the rest of the world does? And, and, you know, I mean, I know working on 192 for four seasons, that's what we had. Like you pulled one out of like uh, any of the 10 uh, top, you know, uh, on the call sheet. You pulled one of their storylines that impacted everything. And you were like rewriting all the episodes and it was like all these moving balls all the time. Isn't that a blast? <laughs> Isn't yeah, it more like, fun with other people, I guess. It's the best ever. <laughs> I think it's more fun with other people. There's a definitely a reason I'm a TV writer. Right? <laughs> yeah. Someone recently was like, like, oh, you know, because I'm in the process of a US process thing and, and, and everyone's like, oh yeah, like features line, we get you on this feature and then you'd be writing by yourself. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm writing by myself. Like, I don't know if I really want to write by myself. I like the collaboration. Like I like, going in and pulling in someone and going, Tamara, I don't get what, what the heck's going on in this one storyline of episodes. Sit with me for an hour and let's chat about this, you know? Like, it's kind of fun, right? To be TV writers when you have friends and you're not in North Bay by your lone <laughs> thumb totally. freezing. Or in, in, in the Maritimes, Floyd, as I'm sure you found yourself numerous occasions by yourself at some yes. point in your process. There, there, there is no writing room after the six weeks. That I figured, yeah, right? Yes. Like, cause you yeah. got like, even in a procedural kind of close ended thing where you have a light serialization, there's at one point where Floyd, you're, 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 you're by yourself, right, man? Like, no, there's, there's the, the six weeks end and the scripts come in and I'm by myself. <laughs> so yeah. you're like moonshine and love. Like that's, that's all you got <laughs> <Pretty> left. <much. laughs> and what for you, Floyd, because you definitely have serialized personal stories, what's the chat, like, what are the sort of big challenges of those episodes are written, those writers are gone, you are now on the East Coast by yourself having to, to get it on, on screen? Honestly, I will say that um, season one was fine. Season two which I thought would be great because we had decided that we would shoot one episode at a time instead of block shooting, ended up being the worst because it just was a situation where, you know, we were deep in prep and I hadn't written episode six. And plus I had two other episodes that I had to do a lot of work on because they weren't, they weren't ready yet. And it just was this whole like thing where I just was like, I really like, I felt the pressure, which was an interesting thing. Cause it's like, you know, I like, I respond to it, but it's, but at the same time, it's that whole thing where it's like, you just, you know, you just have to get it done. So you you're up till four in the morning getting the, getting the pages out and then like sleeping for two hours and getting up because you know even though you don't have to be on set that morning because you've got a producer on set uh that day you've got like you're getting a call at 6 30 in the morning because you know one of the actors doesn't want to wear their hair a certain way and it's just like 
and so then you're like at a certain point in season two, I just remember I was running on like, I think 10 hours of sleep for the entire week. And I had to fly to Toronto because I, I was coming back home to see my family. And I remember ta- meeting up with one of the actors for a drink and just having like a little meltdown with her <laughs> because I just was so exhausted. Um, you know, this season, I'm like, I'm really pumped because like I have all the scripts. The scripts are in great shape. Everybody's really happy. You know, production is even happy. So that's like, you know, excites me. Um, so it's really the challenge is the actors because, because of the of COVID and the, the quarantine here in Nova Scotia, we have actors who are coming in and then like we can't hold them for like 50 days until they have to shoot for the second half of the season. So we have to send them away and hope that they'll come back and quarantine again for another 14 days. You know, so, so that's really, that's proving the biggest challenge because when that happens, that means that I have to change story. Like, so we have an actor who we only have until May 23rd and we will only be in the first block of shooting then, but I've written that actor into my season finale and into my episode seven. And now I have to actually come up with a whole new person who I can put into that story. And so that's gonna be the challenge. But yeah, I mean, from, from this, a writing perspective, like this season, I feel like this, like I'm really like not worried about the script so much. It's just about having to do the rewrites when it comes to the, the actors. Right, the COVID logistics of it all. Yes, yes. I mean, we ran into a similar problem on Winona Earp where we had an actor who was shooting a different show in Newfoundland and couldn't fly to Calgary within the time frame that we needed. And so because it's a genre show, we just had, we just said that the character wandered into a fog that made them lose their mind and scratch off their own face. And then we recast the actor <laughs> of course. and just put scars, like scars on his face. You could try that. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Hey, like, oh, you can use that, right? <laughs> just like scars in different face. Pro tip. Yeah. Face transplant. Yeah. <laughs> I offer it if it helps. <laughs> and with with um, with transplant, um, in terms of POV, we're obviously Bash is is our lead. He's our way into the story. He's the heart of the stories. In terms of like, did you ever experiment going out of POV with um, scenes where the doctors? You have a, obviously like a big ensemble, so there's lots of um, lots of opportunity there to to have scenes without him in them how do you find like how do you find that balance yeah so it was in, it was deliberately and intentionally like a v it was going to be where we start with like a v that's much more narrow at the at the at the peak where we only from his perspective for the first few episodes mostly and then the show just kind of widens out and it widens out and widens out he still always will be the heart but he's always the anchor and so we definitely will in the first season we gradually allow the ensemble to take up more real estate from their own point of view without bash in it. And then, and then, it, and then just kind of widens and, and that, then it reached a sort of widening state. 
And so we kind of looked really closely at The Good Wife, um, the way, how the way they did that in the first season. And they really started with her point of view and just gently expanded the world. And so, uh, and that's how we still write it. But I'd say like the scripts are always like 50, 50 to 54 pages. And of every script, like Bash's story is 26 pages usually, generally. It, it works out to write around half. And um, like I said, in his, his, his like the core emotion of his story will generally define the core emotion in some way of everybody else's story. Um, and then we, we never go, another deliberate thing is we never show patients without doctors. We just don't do it. And so it's a decision we made early on and, and we just stuck to it, you know? So only through the POV of the doctors. And Lynn, in your episode, you start off with this really great active shooter in the hospital situation that turns out to be, uh, do you want to kind of explain it? <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe had already come with a really great arsenal of um, consultants. And one of them was a uh, OR doctor at St. Mike's in Toronto. And he told us about these active shooter simulations. And when no one picked it up, I was like, dude, hey, middle of the season, let's do it. So I was like, here's Syria. And, and, and we have this active shooter simulation, which triggers his PTSD. But we emotionally locate each one of the characters um, in that opening sequence. And I think that's a key thing is to always look at the emotion of the characters, emotionally locate them early and see what the trajectory is in the episode. So we have great cast and, you know, as we all know, you write to your cast. So there's great cast on Transplant. You know, we have John Hanna, we have Aisha, we have Jim Watson, we have Lawrence LaBeouf. We have like a lot of incredible, incredible actors in that. So we have a buffet to write for with like great strengths. And as writers, you always like write to your strengths of your actors. And when you have such a great field, you're like, hey, we can play, right? So, you know, we, we knew we could, we could write a lot for them and they would take the ball and run for it. So when we started with that active shooter thing, it was like, okay, let's locate them and find a trajectory for them in that episode where we need them to turn and, and what's gonna happen for them in the back half. So that was a big part of that conversation. It's like, where do we take these characters and where do we need to do them to kick them towards the end of the season? Um, so, so we did that and we found that in a really banger of an opener. And, and that, was a, that was a heck of a lot of fun. And, and, and all the stakeholders were on board with that, which is never easy in a first season, and <laughs> as we know. And, uh, and I'm always about the queers and the queer story. And we had a really great uh, trans, trans in the transplant uh, story in, in, in that season for, for what we could. And, and Joe really fought really hard to keep that story afloat, right, Joe? And, <laughs> Cause we had a lot of people picking at that. And, uh, and so it was, it was a really fun, a fun episode to write uh, just in terms of like each one of the characters has a full arc and, mm -hmm. and we, 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 we turn them and they go somewhere and we send them on a trajectory towards the end of the season. So it was, for me, a heck of a lot of fun. There was a lot of energy. There was a lot of action meeting emotion in terms of, uh, of scenes. There was a lot of conflicting uh, things where like one character was in one, one headspace, the other character is in another headspace. And, and, uh, and then we got to trigger Bash's PTSD in a big, big full on way where he had an active time jump and didn't remember an hour of his day. Where do you get to see a procedural where your hero is fucking up? <laughs> and it's just like, I don't know what I've done in my last hour of my day. And it's a real Bell Let's Talk episode. 
of you know is about mental health and and we had a, I had a lot of fun writing it and uh, definitely a lot of the notes <laughs> when you're right when you push boundaries you get a heck of a lot of the notes and and right um, something on that episode that you really need on a show like transplant when there's so many stories and so many things to do especially in a first season is that she came with like she was in the room but she came with a really strong pitch and the pitch contained both the active shooter drill beginning and how that kind of defined the episode and also this this patient story with with the with the trans kid and they were two really really strong and sort of well thought out story ideas that that would anchor the episode um you know each big and each and so when you get that as a showrunner in that situation you're like, oh, good. You know, we we have something. And Tamara's episode as well, like she in episode nine of season one, she has a really beautiful story about a young woman who has a psychotic break and and just onset schizophrenia. And it wasn't something that we had done, and it was something really important to us. And again, Belle, let's talk. And you just really need you, you have like as a showrunner, you have these ideas of the character arcs and things you want to do, but then you really need the writers to come with big ideas like that that just anchor the episode and, and that those two of those scripts did that really well. And speaking to Tamara's episode, um, your that that beautiful story, that heartbreaking story, it's not a surgical story, it's a psychological story. So is was there some kind of do you have to figure out how to how to make that work within uh, the confines for lack of a better word, of what the show had already delivered, which is like not a ton of those kinds of stories. Yeah, it was it was interesting because we don't like a lot of the time in the show, you, you kind of get to later in the episode and there's some big medical complication that turns the story. And with this, it was sort of like, we know we have this character and we have this emotional situation we had to figure out where that goes. And I think it was it was actually a lot like what we talked about earlier, which is we got to a point where we went, we just have to sit in the emotion of this and like and, and look at what's the reality of what this looks like for, for people who are going through this. Um, and then and then sort of that that all came down to a conversation one of our doctors has with the patient's father, which is like, you know, this is day one, they won't always be this hard, because that's really all you can do. Like, it's not, it's short of short of doing some like over the top, she tries to kill herself or something. There's no there's no sudden big medical complication that's going to save you and give you an act for a turn. Uh, so it, I think as soon as we went, you know what, it doesn't have to have huge turns, it just has to be an interesting emotional reality, it got a lot easier, we just kind of kind of went from there. Um, but yeah, I was excited about that story. So I was glad that we got to got to tell it. It's one of the challenges of the show though, because we would talk in the, we'll talk about the suicide attempt in the writer's room and then as a turn, and then we realized, but it's not really our show. You know, we don't mm -hmm. do that kind of thing. And so then it's like, well, how do we make it interesting living in the emotion, how to make it interesting? And it's both hard and fun. And it's also like within the confines of the ER, right? Like, so it all has to be emergency medicine based. It's not like carrying off. So you always have to find a reason to get them back into the ER if they're like a recurring within your episode, like they have a call back to come back later within it. So it has to f follow a logic path within the, the universe that Joe created, which is it's ER medicine, you know? So, okay. you know, we're not going off into the other areas of the hospital. So how do you do that? And that was like part of the tricks. And also defeat the flies in the writing room because we had Lord of the Flies, right? Like we had like a fly infestation and we had to kill all the flies as we were breaking story. So yeah. it was like a lot of swatting because we writers always end up in interesting positions and we had a fly infestation, right? Always in Play-Doh on the, like keep get you up out of your seat, moving around. It's Ninjas. healthy writing. Yeah. 
And so it's really interesting, this idea of like, that's not the show. And Floyd, I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to ask Sarah, and maybe Sarah will be a little more difficult because Cardinal is so, um, uh, it can be violent. It can be uh, uh, gross, <laughs> the bodies we see and how they end up there. So Floyd, just to go back to you, what's, wh what do you, do you have a sense of like, when you, what's an example of something you hear, a pitch you might hear, and it just doesn't feel right for what you know the show to be? Um, anything that's overly broad. Um, I, I'm pretty, uh, <clears throat> I don't write, I'm not a, I'm not that funny of a guy, although I love jokes. Um, but, you know, there are times when um, writers will, writers in the room will be like, we should do, let's do a funny story about like, you know, Reggie, this, this character, particular character. And I'll be like, okay, yeah, let's do something lighter. And, you know, and there'll be times when beats are pitched that are too broad for me. Like, they're just not, like, I'm not a fan. Like, and I know people love these characters. Like, you know, what was the character that was on, NCIS that uh, the dark haired actress played for like, like nine years and then she left. And it's just like, people love that character because she was comedy relief and she was very funny. And I just don't, I don't gravitate towards those kinds of characters. I'm not interested in them. I'm much more interested in people who just kind of like, I like sarcastic funny. I like dark funny. And we can play with those within the context of the scripts. Um, but I don't like broad. Um, that's something where I kind of, if I'm reading a script and something feels like it's too like, just zany, like this is not, I'm not writing like that for me, that's not the show. Gotcha. And it's, I mean, that being said, like the, your script, the characters are so specific and so uh, of that specific part of Canada, there is a way that the dialogue reads that's charming and funny. And, you know, the, the, I mean, at least, at least to my eyes and to my ears when I watch the show. Um, and I know sometimes, and I'm not saying, you know, that, um, that uh, we're in small town territory, but how do you do, do, is it sometimes, uh, do writers sometimes fall into a trap of like writing too folksy? for your world? Um, I Here's what I would say. I just feel like it's uh, like, it's not too, it's not that it's too folksy because there is that whole, I mean, I want you to be in Nova Scotia, right? Like I'm not yeah. trying to be anywhere else, but Nova Scotia. So, so, and that is very much a part of Nova Scotia. I mean, specifically with Willie, I mean, Willie is like a perfect example of, and his mom are perfect examples of their characters who they have this like very, like, especially the mom, she has this acidic way of describing things that is very, that you will find funny, but it's also very caustic. And I love, like, I like that part of it, you know, because Maritimers have a way of turning a phrase 
where they'll say things and you you won't know if you're being insulted or not. <laughs> and and so that I love. Um, it's more so the situ the prat falling kind right. of thing that sometimes will happen that I'm just like, no, that's not this show. Right. And and for you, Sarah, on Cardinal, there's a lot at the body count is high. It's a small town. And yet when I we watch the show and we're like, why does anyone live there? <laughs> it's the old well, Angela Lansbury. Yes. You you're coming down the street. You need to Look, change towns. That's right. So what yeah. is the what, where's the line on a show like Cardinal? Well, I, I think people who love this genre, this kind of um, Scandi noir, British crime drama um, uh, heritage of this kind of show, that they, they're willing to suspend their disbelief to a point. And, and yet, it, though the body count is high and the serial killers are quite extreme in all of the seasons, mm-hmm. um, Cardinal himself and Delorme are so grounded and so quiet. And Aubrey is, is really the one who set the tone here in season one. And Patrick and I just ran with it. Um, little details like, you know, kicking the snow off your boots at the front door. That's just those moments that are just, this is very real. And I think it's that, I don't know, that contrast between grounded gritty, mundane, um, bucolic town where nothing big should happen. And then this extreme thriller aspect that kind of rocks everybody to the core. You can almost put yourself into it because they're like people you know, they're like your neighbors or your relatives anywhere in Canada. And yet it's safe to watch. It's thrilling to watch because you don't have to experience the horror in your real life. I think it's cathartic, like, like any horror movie really or thriller. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I don't think that I <laughs> made the connection between how nice it is to have two, I'm not going to say boring, but like, like regular people at the heart of this whirling dervish of chaos and crime and, and murder. But it is true, like the details of, I, I notice it certainly in your script, just things like um, we go back to talking about the action lines and how important they are and the descriptions, how important they are in a show like this that just you know when they go to the autopsy suite and Len's like yeah so there's you know what it looks like is the per you know this this victim was was dragging a cinder block through the snow and because it was there was so much exertion they were sweating and the sweat froze and then the chain ripped their skin (laughs) and it's like that's really gross, but that's kind of weirdly beautiful in a detail that I don't know that I've read anywhere else. Yeah, it's it's very grotesque and macabre, but it's also very, again, it's grounded. There are consequences for every gruesome action in the show. So it's it's never escapist in that sense. You mm-hmm. know, it's, it's very much like, I don't know. I, I think it taps into this, this, very popular um, desire to watch true crime. And you see that grisly headline in the newspaper and you have to read the story about what happened. It's, it's just part of the human condition for a lot of, a lot of viewers. And I know certainly when we were talking about um, season three, I'm sure it's true of your season of season two and season four as well. The idea of the kinds of bodies that you put on screen and how you put them on screen. And if there's like, 
you, despite the fact that the audience expects a certain thing from this kind of show, the, and this show specifically, there's a respectfulness and a desire to, to put the internal life of this person who's died on screen, which sort of like allows them to live beyond the gruesome thing that happened to them that I always really appreciated about the show, the sensibility of the show. Yeah, I mean, to Floyd's point about not being broad, we're not the kind of show that would have somebody cracking jokes over a dead body, for example. Like, there's definitely um, a, a respect and a kind of an understanding that this was someone who was loved. This was someone who lived a life. And, and we're not... It, there's a very fine line between wanting that to be a set piece, uh, uh, thinking about um, in your season, Noel, where that that the divers are out on the boat and they're bringing up the the old crime from years ago, and these bodies are surfacing under the lake. Yeah, it's it's operatic and it's thrilling to see as a viewer. It's cinematic, and yet when you cut to Cardinal and Delorme, it's so. Uh, they feel it so passionately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Floyd, if we can go back to Digstown for a second, can you talk about like morality may not be the right word, but you know, you, your, your show is so interesting in that, you know, you were dealing with legal aid, which isn't what we normally see in a law show. Um, you know, it, it's not the, the fancy suits and I, the wardrobe's great. I'm not <laughs> using the wardrobe, but it's the people that they, that they are dealing with on a daily basis. There's, you, you do tackle some social justice issues for sure um, with the show. And how do you balance, like, you don't want to, like that, that idea of wanting to put, put that out into the world of what your show has to say about the world and this world specifically about you know, poverty and social justice issues and things like that, but not be preachy. How do you strike that balance? Um, I like to look at everything through mercy or the other lawyers. So it's like, it's always about, like one of, one of the episodes in particular um, where we had, um, it was, she was defending an indigenous woman um, who was accused of stabbing somebody who tried to attack her and her friend. And one of the things that for me was like, it was about like, even though the story was about Marcy trying to get justice for this woman, it was also about Marcy understanding as a black Nova Scotian the differences and the similarities between our struggle as Black Nova Scotians and the struggle of Indigenous people who are in Nova Scotia. And for me, like that's like, whenever we can do that in a story where it's like, you know, we're showing the, we're kind of, we're, we're showing this, like she's, in, she's involved in somebody else's story but it's like, we're really trying to, it's about her learning in her education, you know, because she, because she has to step outside of her comfort zone and put things at risk for people. And, and, you know, and I think with the show, I mean, you know, the whole idea of being in legal aid is because we just, every, 
you know, I love The Good Wife. I mean, that's one of my favorite legal shows ever, but what I always, what I didn't like about that show is the fact that everybody, they represent, the people always seemed like they were all middle class or upper middle or upper class. They, you never felt like they were representing people who were like in like on the street of like people who actually don't usually have access to legal services. And so it was just in terms of thinking about the show, the show I was reminded most about when I was developing Digstown was the practice. Like that is my favorite legal show ever. And I went back and I watched the pilot of that show and it's just, it's such an incredible episode of television. And you just, you just realize like, we like, like for me, it was about the whole idea of well, wanting to show these lawyers who are willing to actually go to the mat for these people who don't have anybody in their corner. And so, yeah, like, I mean, I, I just really, I mean, I don't know if like, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it's like, it wasn't so much like, I don't think about, for me, it's always about bringing, shining a light on something that we don't talk about or something that's happening in the real world that we really just, a lot of people don't, don't know about. Like, I, I will, I, I did this very quickly. It's like, right now there's this like, case going through the Human Rights Commission in Nova Scotia involving a woman who was sexually assaulted and the she called the cops like she did the exact right thing she called the cops the cops didn't show up at her house or reach out to her until like for days later by the time they reached out to her the place where the assault she told them where the assault happened by the time they went to check it out all the evidence was like physical evidence was gone you know and she's now taken them to the Human Rights Commission. So I wanted to do something on Digstown where it's like, I want to tell a story about how cops deal with um, sexual assault when it comes to the LGBTQ community. And so that's what we, end, and so we ended up taking like a situation where we have you know, a gay man who's sexually assaulted, the cops don't investigate properly. And this man takes the cops to the Human Rights Commission. And I want like, and I want to put Mercy in that story and the whole taking on the police and actually challenging sort of like, you know, looking at the real stats in terms of how the police investigate a sexual assault when it comes to gay men. So that, so, so those are the kind of, of things that I feel like we can do with the show. I think you smartly pointed out that if Marcy has something to learn, then it doesn't feel like your show is putting on a morality play for the audience because yeah. she's going through it too. And she's, yeah, I think that's really, really interesting. Um, this has been amazing. We've gone over our hour <laughs> time limit. I feel like I could keep talking to you guys forever about all your brilliant writing and your brilliant shows. Um, thank you so much. This has been wonderful. And 
for everyone writing, prepping, shooting, developing, whatever you guys are doing, I wish you the best of luck with it. And I can't wait to see what you come up with next. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks so much. Noelle. Thanks, Noelle. You've been listening to Cut To, a podcast from the Writers Guild of Canada. Thanks again to Sarah Dodd, Floyd Kane, Joseph Kay, Lynn Cam, and Tamara Moulin for offering such great insights into writing television drama. I'm Noelle Carbone. Thank you for listening. <laughs>